Hi, this is Mary Guzman, CEO and founder of Crown Jewel Insurance, and today I am thrilled to have a short interview by my dear friend and new colleague, Lindsay Smith, who is the Director of Client Relations and Marketing for Crown Jewel and a recent grad of UGA. Go dogs! Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> um, today we thought we would just um, ask and answer a few questions that we've gotten several times from different brokers and lawyers and um, other folks who might be talking to their clients about this exposure and how this program works. So we thought we would just do a little podcast. I'm really excited to ask you some of these frequently asked questions. Um, they come up all the time and we're really excited to answer them all. Um, we're going to start with pretty basic information. People always ask, what services does Crown Jewel offer? So we designed Crown Jewel to be sort of a, a full front to back end or A to Z type solution that organizations could essentially pick up and drop into their enterprise risk management program or risk management processes that they might have already um, developed within their organization because as we've drilled down through this process we found that the vast majority of companies don't have a formal process to either identify or quantify slash value their trade secrets which are the first two steps in a formal risk management program. Um, it's really surprising to me that organizations don't have a formal process to do this, and there are a lot of reasons why I think that's the case, as I've developed um, some opinions about that through the past year and a half when I've been developing this program. But essentially, I think the, the main reason is that trade secrets are not something that you officially file for and, and, and get an official approval or piece of paper saying that something is now approved and is you know a trade secret and because of that the value of these types of assets tend to sneak up on organizations as they become more and more valuable over time so with that we decided to develop both an identification and valuation process up front using a software program called the Trade Secret Examiner that was developed by the Trade Secret Office. And it's, an, it's a one-of-a-kind, first-of-its-kind in the industry for sure, program that actually uses the six-factor litmus test or the restatement six-factor test that's used in courts of law today to determine whether or not something is defensible or how defensible an asset is as a trade secret. There are six characteristics in that um, litmus tests that are used and the, we'll go into those in a minute essentially but the the trade secret examiner asks the insured to list the characteristics in six categories following the litmus test of each asset that they perceive to be a trade secret and then they get a score an overall score on a scale of one to five and then the system automatically ranks them in order of the most to least defensible so that you can act on those and put more resources around the things that should have more resources or otherwise. Um, it also is blockchain, which is huge, in that it becomes irrefutable evidence or perfect evidence, really, on the back end if we ever have to go and enforce misappropriation of trade secret rights and seek damages on the back end because now we've got a record of exactly you know, demonstrating that our insured, first of all, had legal ownership to the trade secret asset, that they put the appropriate protections around it, and we can see all of the various iterations of development of the value or characteristics of that asset over time and be able to show that in court. So that's critical. 
We also are overlaying 24-7 dark web and deep dark web monitoring um, using very unique identifiers to tie information back to the trade secret assets that we're insuring on the policy so that if those assets are being sold or chatted about essentially um, on the web, then hopefully we will know about it early because that's a huge part of the intervention and recovery process is trying to get recapture the assets before it's too late, put the genie back in the bottle, if you will. Um, finally, we are doing, um, well, actually not finally, we're also doing a valuation process that comes on top of and supplements the Trade Secret Examiner software where we are using Alvarez and Marsal primarily and their tax and valuation division to come in and put an actual fair market value on each trade secret that we're insuring. And just pr putting that value on a trade secret is extremely valuable because it improves your balance sheet and you can potentially then use it as collateral um, once you buy the insurance to get better an alternative financing. Um, but also, um, finally, once we value that, that becomes the limit on the insurance policy. And then when and if we ever do have to either subrogate against the misappropriator or um, essentially just enforce um, misappropriation of trade secret rights against a third party, we've hired or partnered with Fisher Broyles. Uh, Mark Halligan is a partner there who's done quite a bit of courtroom litigation around trade secret enforcement very successfully, and he's one of the the most well-known attorneys and well-respected attorneys in that space. So all of those things sort of wrap around the insurance product to form um, the, the whole suite of services that is Crown Jewel Protector. Okay, thank you, that's a lot, but that's everything that we offer. And um, back to like how you identify a trade secret, a lot of people ask um, the things that you need to determine if something's a trade secret or not. I know you kind of touched on the six factor litmus test, but is there any other part of that? Yeah, so um, the six factor litmus test, um, people can read about it. It gets into the more legal technicalities of what you have to do to be able to successfully enforce your rights of protection around a trade secret in a court of law, which has to do with who has access to the information, you know, have you done everything that you needed to do to label something correctly? Do you have the appropriate the appropriate non-disclosure agreements and non-compete agreements in place for employees for when or contractors, and um, the ability to enforce those when they leave and all of those types of things? But um, essentially, to determine whether or not something is a trade secret, you really just need to think back to is the asset valuable to the organization? Are you putting significant and unique protections around it um, to make sure that it is not uh, made available to the public or to your competitors, essentially, and um, that you will continue to der derive independent economic benefit in the future over that asset. We actually just did a, a short little uh, video talking about what is a trade secret and gave some examples in that, so hopefully folks will go look at that. Okay, thank you. And um, this is a question that I always get asked when I explain the product and what we're doing is um, how can a trade secret valuation be objective and how do we find a value for something that's intangible? Good question. Um, and my friend Phil Antoon, who's the managing director at Alvarez and Marsal that we've worked um, 
extensively with on this can do a fantastic job and has done a great job of explaining this to us. In fact, we have another podcast that features Phil explaining the valuation of trade secrets, but the short answer is that there is a very objective process that is supported by accounting principles and um, will hold up in court and um, you know withstand scrutiny of both accountants and legal professionals around the globe. There, the valuation of trade secrets is done a lot of times in an M&A transaction or for financing or tax purposes. And essentially they just apply other accounting methodologies um, to the type of trade secret that we're talking about depending upon the stage of the trade secrets development. So for example, if it's not generating any cash flow yet, it has one methodology versus if it is already a cash flow generating asset, then it has a different methodology, but it is doable and it is objective and it's supportable and we love it. Well, that's good to hear because I get that question a lot. Um, the next thing is with all those services that we offer, um, what if someone decides to get the valuation and get the trade secret examiner software and then they decide they don't want to buy the insurance? Well, that would be a shame because there's a lot of benefit <laughs> to the insurance for sure um, because it does fund all of those things and also funds the litigation on the back end and makes the insured whole for the fair market value. So we would recommend that they buy the insurance. But if they don't, um, that's totally fine and we understand that and um, it's, it is doable. Um, there is a, a specific fee that's set for the trade secret examiner software, which is $50,000 a year licensing agreement. Um, the valuation is a little bit more um, flexible or malleable depending upon how many trade secrets there are because that really will drive how much work Phil and his team at Alvarez and Marsal have to do to support those trade secret assets. So to have those services included in the insurance, what is the minimum premium that the client has to purchase? They, there is no minimum premium per se, but mm -hmm. they have to buy at least $10 million in limit. Okay. And that was sort of the floor of where we decided that if they bought $10 million worth of coverage, we could support the payment of those two things. Gotcha. Um, and then a lot of people ask us, you know, the overview of what the underwriting process is going to look like. So do you want to give a brief description on that? Yeah. We actually have a two-page document. It's a front and back that goes into detail about the underwriting process. Um, if people want to know, or it's not the whole thing, um, the underwriting process is not that complicated, but essentially they can call us. The easiest thing to do is reach out to you or me um, and set up an appointment for us to, um, we can send them the client engagement packet, but then we can also schedule a an onboarding call with them to walk them through the process, but it involves a security assessment questionnaire and evaluation questionnaire so that um, Alvarez and Marsal can follow up and do a valuation conference call. And then at the same time, we're off to the markets talking about what we learn and, and get from the threat assessment and security assessment questionnaire. Okay, cool. Um, and then this one comes from brokers really frequently. What kind of industries are we sure should the brokers be targeting for this product? Is there any specific industry that's more that may have more trade secrets than others? Yeah, I mean, um, the way I like to think about it is to think about that any industry that's naturally innovative um, is a great fit for this. So 
My favorite to think about is green energy because they're all doing great things. Um, anybody who's trying to improve the environment gets a 10% discount off the bat. Um, but also, um, you know, chemicals and petrochemical companies, manufacturing, logistics and supply chain, anyone who's doing, you know, um, game changing technology, um, or even, you know, um, baby step changing technology in terms of, you know, automated um, driverless cars, you know, cockpit automation, defense companies are huge targets. Uh, the list kind of goes on. Even media companies can can have a lot of trade secrets in in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. And to expand on that, we also just released a video that has um, Mary giving some examples of trade secrets in different industries. And if you have any more questions about that, you should definitely check that out. Um, and the next question is going to be about, it's basically how does our product, how does trade secret insurance going to affect private equity firms or um, venture capital firms or something like that. Okay, yeah. So what's kind of what's the benefit to a private equity company or why should they love this product? Mm -hmm. um, and I love the idea. In fact, one of the target industries or way this, ways that we wanted to roll this out was through private equity. And the reason for that is that today, private equity companies can require their portfolio companies that they've invested heavily in to buy workers' comp and property and GL and even E&O and cyber and D&O and EPL and all the traditional things that we all um, are, know and love in the insurance industry, but not a single one of those products covers the underlying value of the asset that is the reason that the company invested in the portfolio company to begin with if it's a technology play. Mm -hmm. So if you're a private equity investor and you're looking at companies who are doing cool, innovative things, they don't have a lot of tangible assets, and that's, by the way, not the reason that you bought them. You bought them because they've got, you know, the, they're, the, they're developing some really awesome camera technology that's gonna be, you know, embedded in the next iPhone. You know, something along those lines. Um, now you can require them to buy insurance that actually covers the intrinsic or fair market value of those underlying assets if they're misappropriated or stolen. Um, so I would think that would be a huge play for private equity companies. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think we have one more question and this might be our favorite question. It is, how do we get started and what are the next steps we're interested in this product? <laughs> so I would tell people to just reach out to us on our website or send us an email on the info at crownjewelinsurance.com or info at tradesecretinsurance.com and um, we will certainly get back to them or they can email us directly. Um, there is a lot of valuable information on our website at www.tradesecretinsurance.com really all throughout the website but there are a lot of interesting articles and most of our videos and blogs and everything are posted on the resource tab mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of um, information to be found there um, one thing that we did not talk about is how the product is priced, okay. and that's another question that I get that I just wanted to throw out there. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, the pricing for this coverage is done on a, essentially, a percentage of the limit that's purchased. So if somebody buys, um, say, a $20 million policy, we start with somewhere around a 5% rate online, that's what we call that is a 5% rate online so that would be a 
million dollar premium. <laughs> I had to do the math in my head really quickly. It's not difficult. Um, but a <laughs> million dollar, yeah, math is hard. A um, million dollar premium, um, but that can go up or down all the way down to say 3% rate online and up to maybe 8% depending upon how the client does on their threat assessment questionnaire, um, how the trade secret examiner, you know, values or scores their defensibility position. Um, but also, as importantly, whether or not you know they're a, a target for social reasons, the company, if they've done something that might be perceived as politically um, volatile, um, they might be a bigger target. And certain industries certainly are bigger targets because they're targets from um, the Chinese or the Russian governments or other um, nation you know, nation state actors around the globe, like defense contractors are definitely going to be more expensive than a lot of other industry groups. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I think that's all we have today. And um, if you have any more questions, feel free to reach out and Ms. Mary will answer them. Thank you so much. And there'll be more podcasts and we'll let you know as they're coming out. Appreciate it.